0: Hope this Tuesday finds you in good health and high spirits. Hi, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. And this is Tuesday, March the 9th, 2011. And on Tuesdays, we play a drama, an old time radio drama. And what we have lined up for you today is an episode of The Lives of Harry Lime. Now, we've played a couple of episodes on of this show before, but it's been a while. And just to bring you up to date... Harry Lyme was a character introduced in the movie The Third Man, which came out in 1949. And in it, Harry was a uh, unscrupulous character that was selling bad medications uh, for a profit. And Joseph Cotton was a down-and-out reporter that kind of got on the story of Harry Lyme. And that was sort of it. Harry Lyme was just a, a con man, uh, a bunco artist... Just not a very nice guy. Orson Welles gave an outstanding performance. And so at some point they decided to do a radio series. Now this series was actually done in Europe. And it was not done in the United States. It was first broadcast on the BBC and then later syndicated in the United States. But it ran for a good part of two years. And it was, I guess, just some cash for Welles, who was kind of hiding from creditors over in Europe as i understand but sometimes the episodes remind me of remember the movie the dirty rotten scoundrels with steve martin and michael caine that's what this episode is going to remind you of tonight if if you're anything like me harry is in monte carlo and it's the season and he is doing very well thank you he has one Victim after another, apparently, because his pockets are stuffed with cash and he is on a roll. And that's when he meets a most interesting young woman and is instantly smitten by her. We'll just leave it at that, because this will get right into the story. Just remember, though, as you're listening to this, what makes helps make sense of this is that Harry Lyme is the perhaps most famous con artist, bunco artist, in all of Europe. All right? So here we go. We're going back to approximately January the 18th, 1952 for the lives of Harry Lyme. And the name of this one is the Double, Double Cross. What a great name. Here it comes. (laughs)
1: Presenting Orson Welles as The Third Man. The Lives of Harry Lyme, the fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with Zither Music by Anton Karras.
2: Is beautiful. Beautiful. Trey Chic, Trey French. She could have been, and for a while I almost kidded myself. She was the great romance of my life. But as Shakespeare, as somebody said once, Dames is poison, likewise dolls, and believe me, the honey on those soft red lips of hers was laced with pure, unadulterated strychnine.
1: And Wells as Harry Lime, the third man, in today's story, The Double, Double Crust. Monte Carlo,
2: 1936. The sucker season was at its peak, and by an odd coincidence, my pockets were fuller than they'd been for a long time. Yes, life is looking pretty good. But even at that, not half so good as the licorice-eyed brunette I found sitting next to me at the casino one night.
3: Faites vos jeux, messieurs et
4: mesdames. Faites
5: vos jeux, s'il vous plaît.
2: Rien ne va plus. 18, rouge. That was me. I drew in my winnings. Lady Luck was sure smiling on me, just as she was frowning on the girl beside me. This girl had backed half a dozen losers or more in a row, and now her last chips were gone, she was fumbling in her handbag. Here was chivalrous Harry's big chance. I asked politely if there was anything I could do to help.
6: Thank you, monsieur. You are very kind, but I, I seem to have mislaid my checkbook. I'm afraid I shall have to give up for tonight. Oh,
2: you can't quit when you're so much down. I have no choice. Nonsense. Here, take the stack of chips. Oh, but, monsieur... Please, if, go on.
6: No, monsieur, I would not dream of I'm a complete stranger. Not just alone. I, but if I lose again, I may not be able to repay no you.
2: I'll chance that. Please take it. <laughs> if you insist. I certainly do.
6: Thank you, monsieur. Bet
2: bonjour, mesdames et messieurs. I'll put the lot on twenty-one.
6: A lot? Sure. But is that prudent?
2: To a successful gambler, mademoiselle, the word prudent doesn't exist. When you've got a hunch, play it. Play it hard.
6: And you have a, a hunch about 21? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm in your hands. I do as you say. There. Good. Faites vos jeux, s'il vous plaît. Rien ne <inaudible> va plus. Numéro 21. Rouge. I have one. What
1: did I tell you? Oh,
6: you must be very lucky, monsieur.
2: i oh, you to think I am.
6: What should I choose
2: this time? This time, let's see, 17. All right,
6: right,
2: seven. Well, that's how I met Louise. By 11 o'clock, we were both good winners and good friends. We decided to call it a night and strolled out in the casino gardens, and then after a while down to the seafront... It's one of those clear blue summer evenings that poets write sonnets about, and to my amazement, I found myself getting kind of sentimental.
6: Tell me about yourself, Harry. Well,
2: there's not a great deal to tell. Oh, you are too modest. Well, I could think of a few people who'd laugh heartily to hear that.
6: What brings you to Monte Carlo? Business or pleasure?
2: Well, a little of each, I guess.
6: What is your business?
2: A collector. What you collect? An d'art. How interesting.
6: Of any particular oh, kind? Anything that appeals
2: to my sense of beauty.
6: Do you often make a find?
2: Sometimes tonight, for instance.
6: Thank you. That is a very nice compliment.
2: Yeah? A little corny, but it has the rare virtue of being sincere. <laughs> what about yourself, Louise? Do you live here in Monte?
6: No, I am on holiday. I come from Paris. I might
2: have guessed it. What part? Neuilly. Married?
6: Is that important? Well, it could be. Yes, I, I have a husband.
2: It's customary for a woman to sound a little more enthusiastic when she says that.
6: I would rather not talk about him, if you don't mind. No, oh,
2: it's like that, is isn't it?
6: Yes. There's a cold breeze coming in from the sea. I must return to my hotel. So soon? I'm very tired. Well, I'm
2: sorry I've kept you out too long. Which way from here?
6: Oh, please, you must not trouble yourself. I'll be all right alone. You
2: don't think you can walk out of my life like that, do you, please? It
6: would be more prudent.
2: I've already told you there's no such word. Let's go. Now, I'm not the sort of guy who won't take a chance, but usually if there's one thing I steer clear of, it's jealous husbands. Yet tonight, somehow, it was different. I felt you know, sort of reckless. There is that perfume Louise wore. Maybe it was the moonlight. I don't know. Anyway, almost before I'd realized it, we were at the door to her suite and she'd opened it.
6: Would you uh, like to come in for just wondering? Well, I like No, can. perhaps it would be better not. Good night, Harry.
2: Oh, well, uh, when am I going to see you again?
6: I, I don't know. I think perhaps I will return to Paris tomorrow. Why? It would be wise. Oh, no, you
2: mustn't. But You I... can't just part... We can't... You mustn't go away like this. while Louise, you're crying.
6: It's nothing. Nothing at all.
2: I guess I will have that drink after all. Oh,
6: no, Harry, please. You did ask me, you know.
2: After you. Oh.
6: You will find cigarettes in that box. Thanks. Uh, what would you like? Champagne?
2: I don't care. Listen, Louise, you and I have got to talk this thing out.
6: Well, there's nothing to be said. You bet
2: there is plenty. You realize what's happened, don't you? Will
6: you uh, open this bottle, please?
2: Sure. Shall I pour?
6: If you please. Here are the glasses. What has
2: happened, Harry? <laughs> I don't know. it fallen in
6: love. No. Yes. But it is impossible. Why? We're strangers. Three hours ago, we've never spoken to well, each what other. What can happen in three hours? Oh, oh, even now, we know nothing of each other. Nothing whatever beyond our Christian names. So what? It's against all common sense. and did common
2: sense have anything to do with love? Oh, no, no, it's absurd. You don't believe that. Look at me, Louise. You don't believe it's absurd. You know it's true. You do know, don't you?
6: Oh, Harry... I love you, Louise. Hold me tight. It's all so strange, so wonderful. What is this miracle that's happened?
3: A pretty picture. Uh, Who are you? Forgive me, Vanka. Pierre. You've got a nerve bursting in like this. Indeed, monsieur? you know this girl, Louise? Oh, yes, she knows me quite well. Tell him who I am, Louise. He is... He is... Go on, do not keep the gentleman in suspense.
6: He is my husband.
3: What? didn't tell me he was here in Monty. A regrettable oversight, I'm sure. I'm sorry, Harry. I have no doubt the gentleman is
2: sorry, too. The point is, what is to be done about it? Well, naturally, I... <laughs> I apologize. it's very generous of you. And I assure you, your wife is altogether blameless in this little affair. Oh, Thank you sure. Americans are so gutted. Well, now, if you'll excuse me, I Not I so just,
3: fast, uh... Uh... monsieur. There is much to be said yet. Oh? What, for instance? Well, this may be just a passing incident to you, but does it not occur to you that you have ruined my whole life? I don't get you. You make love to my wife. I've always made well, her wouldn't say, to me, I? now you kill my trust in her. You destroy the whole fabric of our marriage. Oh, now, look here. If you are a gentleman, the least you could do would be to offer some compensation for the harm you have done.
2: <clears throat>
3: uh, what kind of compensation? Let us say uh, 200,000 francs. Are you kidding? I assure you I am very much in earnest. You seem to forget one thing, monsieur. Oh, what's that? If this story were to get out, it would create an unpleasant oh, scandal. Yes. You
2: would not wish that, I'm sure. I dig you, kid. A blackmail, is that it? Call it what you will, monsieur. Okay, go ahead, You may find it hard to prove, though. Louise and I both deny it. Ah, but Louise is a very truthful person. She would not deny it, would you, my dear?
6: You did kiss me, Harry?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, I did. So now we know exactly where we stand. You know, I'm surprised at an apparently smart pair like you two... I do not understand. Oh, I admit it's a neat little racket. I dare say it plays as well as most, but you should pick your marks a little more care, you know.
3: So now you insult us both, eh? Is
2: that possible? Monsieur! This is intolerable. Relax, both of you. About time you learned my surname, Louise. It's Lime. Not Lime? Not Harry Lime? In the flesh. Not
3: Suck! too much of And it, we try to... It's too absurd. <laughs> <laughs> you, you must forgive us, monsieur. We, we have no it idea. It was you who picked him out at the casino. But, but yes. how was I to know? He, he has about him such an air of uh, malte and innocence. I
2: find it helps with the suckers. <laughs> a million apologies, my friend. And for <laughs> me,
3: too. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and to think that you are the famous Harry Lime. Mm. Why, it is a very great honor to meet you, monsieur. This is a big occasion. We must drink to celebrate it. A
5: toast.
2: To you. Oh, no. My friend. No, no, no. Let's, let's both drink to Louise. To hmm? me? To the greatest actress in Europe. <laughs> Frankly, I was <laughs> never more completely fooled in my life. <laughs>
3: well, to Louise. Louise. Tell me, is this your regular racket? Oh, not at all. Merely what you might call a seasonal sideline. Oh, it, it helps to pay our summer expenses. Oh, well, what's your specialty? We are
6: interested in anything that promises a profit.
3: Oh, Who isn't? In
6: point of fact, Monsieur, if you happen to be free at the moment, it occurs to me we may be
3: able to do business together. Oh? I have recently had a proposition, uh, but it is not an undertaking for a woman. It, it needs two men. Well, let's hear about it. As you know, American dollars are easy to obtain on the continent and very difficult in England. There is a strong demand for them in London and a big profit for anyone who can smuggle mm-hmm. them in. Yes, there must be. The English customs are difficult, but it can be done. You see, among my other accomplishments, I am a qualified pilot. Now, here's the proposal. A certain gentleman in London is prepared to advance money for me to buy dollars here. At a date and time to be arranged, this gentleman will wait in a car at a place called Ilfred Moor in Devon. A plane will fly overhead, a passenger will parachute out, his pockets and the touch case filled with dollars. Mm. Uh, he will be met by the gentleman who will collect the money and drive him to London, and from there he can make his way back at leisure to France. But what do you think? Well, no.
2: it's not simple. I'm sure it's a honey of an idea, but, but. Well, but what? Well, presumably I'm the guy who's supposed to flow through the air with the greatest of ease, huh? Exactly. Well, that's not so good. You are not afraid, Harry. Well, Not at all, but I prefer my neck the way it is, <sighs> unbroken.
3: <laughs> it is true there is an element of danger, but it is very slight. Surely it's a small risk to take for a, a thousand pounds. A thousand
2: pounds? Uh-huh. Would you say there's that much?
3: A thousand pounds? I think? Oh, but yes. And what is more, if the first venture succeeds, there will almost certainly be others.
2: Oh, that's different.
3: Then it is a bargain? Okay. When do we start? <laughs>
2: Well, we all went to Paris next day, and Pierre got busy organizing his end of the business. About a week later, we drove to a little place outside Cherbourg, where Pierre had a two-seater plane housed in a converted barn. And next morning, we took off. As we crossed the English coast near Torquay, Pierre handed me a number of bundles carefully wrapped, tied, and sealed, and I filled my pockets and stuffed the overflow into a small leather case. I'd just done checking my parachute when Pierre called to me. This is Alfred more now. Are you ready? I, I guess so. There's no need to be nervous. That's all right for you. I'm the guy who's going to make the jump.
3: Think of the thousand pounds. I am hard. All you have to do is to count five and then
2: pull the record. It's quite simple. Sure, sure, nothing to it.
3: All right. Now.
2: I took a deep breath, and jumped. One, two, three, four, five. The funny part is, he was right. It was quite simple. So it was kind of fun, floating around the sky, seeing the earth drift up gradually to meet him. As I landed and slipped off my harness, a couple of guys stepped forward from behind a clump of bushes. Are you from Pierre? That's right. I'm Robert Brand. This is my assistant, Jerry. I'm glad to know you both. you got the stuff? You don't figure I made that job for the fun of it, do you? Have you got the stuff? Sure, sure. Come, Come on, you can pass stuff. it over and I'll check it in the car. Gather up this
3: parachute,
5: Jerry. We'll get going. Yes, sir.
2: didn't take me two minutes to find out this brand was tough the english gentleman type but hard as iron Pierre might have warned me while his assistant drove us toward london he and i sat in the back of the car and i handed him each a packet checked the seals and then opened it carefully counted every note it took an hour or more and we finished well that's that everything in order mr Brand? yes you're not exactly the trustful type are you no I'm glad Pierre didn't try to shortchange you. So you should be, Mr. Lyme. How's that? I don't take kindly to that sort of thing. A courier who once delivered a package of diamonds to me was foolish enough to replace several best stones with paste imitations. Oh, what happened to him? No one seems to know. He just, uh, disappeared. Hmm, yeah. But surely if Pierre were to weigh in light, you couldn't very well hold me responsible. I could, and would and will, Mr. Lyme, if such a thing ever happened. I don't think that's kind of unreasonable, old man? It is so, but then I'm
3: an unreasonable man. Stop at the next pub, Jerry. It's time we had
2: lunch. Very good, sir. Back in Paris a couple of days later, I told Pierre of our amiable little conversation in the car. I would not take too much notice if I were you. That's the sort of thing a guy does take notice of, if he's wise. Lots of people like to talk that way. Maybe, but this one wasn't kidding. In any case, what is there to worry about? Why wouldn't I worry? I well, have got to make one mistake, and I'm for it, old man. I do not make mistakes. Well, if you don't want to ever look for a new parachutist, you'd better not. That's all. In the next three months, I made two more parachute jumps, and each time I had the doubtful pleasure of the company of Mr. Brand on the way back to London. I can't say I warmed to him as I got to know him better. Meanwhile, in Paris, things were becoming a little complicated. Louise and I were seeing a lot of each other, and suddenly I realized she really was carrying a torch for me. No kidding. And vice versa. Well, I mean, what could I do? Hard to be the act of a gentleman to ignore a thing like that, would it? Well, not to make a long story of it. Pierre went out one night on some kind of business, and there we were, alone, Louise and I.
6: Harry, do you remember that night we met?
2: Sure.
6: I think of it often. It could have been a wonderful night.
2: Well, it started out full of promise. You gave a swell performance, Louise.
6: Do you still think I was only acting?
2: Well, well, weren't you?
6: From the moment you first spoke to me at the table, I knew this was going to be different. Different? There was such a warmth between us, such a a natural sympathy. We were so much, how shall I put it, so much en rapport. You must have felt it yourself.
2: Yeah, Yeah, maybe I did a little. Only a little? Well, (laughs) quite a lot.
6: I knew what I had to do, and I hated myself for doing it. Even when we learned who you were, I hated having to pretend that What had happened between us meant nothing to me. I shall never forget that moment when you took me in your arms and we kissed.
2: You know, Louise, if we're wise, we'll change this conversation to it's sweet.
6: Do you want to be wise, Harry?
2: No, not particularly, but... But what? What about
6: Pierre? I care less than nothing for Pierre. He's your husband. It is you, I love. You alone. You shouldn't say that. Oh, why not? It's true. I'm proud to say it. Yes, but... And you love me too, don't you? Well, Louise... You know you do. Let's go away, Harry. Now, tonight. Think of the wonderful life we could have, you and I, together.
2: She was lovelier than ever, a half-light. Her black eyes were soft and tender, lips warm and red and inviting. If I'd been Superman, I couldn't have... Help myself right then. I took her in my arms, and then from the corner of my eye, I saw a movement beyond the French doors. There was someone out on the balcony listening and watching. I'm not a suspicious guy, but something told me it was Pierre. I could almost see him reaching for his knife. I had to think and act quick. I let Louise go and turned away from
6: her. Harry, what is it?
2: Louise, we... we just can't do this, Louise. But it wouldn't be fair to Pierre.
6: Fair to Pierre?
2: Pierre is my friend. Pierre's a good guy, and after all, there's such a thing, Louise, as common decency. And
6: also there is such a thing as love.
2: That's just it, Louise. If ever I've given you the wrong impression, I apologize. I, I
6: do not understand. I like that. you, of
2: course. I always have, Louise, but as for anything more than that... Are you I,
6: trying to tell I'm me that... I'm trying
2: to tell you as nicely as possible that I don't love you. I don't I love you.
6: <clears throat> I see.
2: I'm sorry, but there it is.
6: And so you should be sorry, leading me on the way you have. Now, be
2: fair, Louise. I've never said
6: one, one word. One word? What do you... words matter? You've told me a thousand times in the tone of your voice, in oh. your looks in your touch. That's not so.
2: That's not so at all, Louise. You misrepresented my manner, What Louise. a fool
6: I've been. What a fool. I believed you, and all the time you were just amusing well, yourself. I assure you. You will that. be sorry for this, Harry. I do not forget. One day you will regret ever having met me. Louise! <laughs>
2: The guy who first said that about hell having no fury like a woman scorn knew what he was talking about. I'd been wise. I'd have got out from under right then. But in the next couple of days, though Louise kept out of sight, Pierre seemed even more friendly than usual. So it wouldn't be after overhearing such a noble renunciation. Anyway, what finally decided me to stick around, however, was we were all set for another mission to Alfred Moore. Who was I to turn back a chance of a thousand pounds? Maybe I wouldn't have been so anxious if I could have overheard a conversation that... I now know what's going on in Scotland Yard,
1: in London. Well, what do you make of it? Postmark Paris, scented stationery. Obviously a woman's handwriting. Yes, but uh, the contents... Mm, very interesting, I must admit. Yeah, but the point is, do you think what she says is true? Well, I couldn't say, oh boy. Still worth investigating, don't you think? Even if nothing comes of it at all, it should make a very pleasant day's outing...
2: Louise usually came to us to Sherwood, for obvious reasons she didn't this time. I was just as glad that we flew over the channel towards England. I did quite a lot of heavy thinking, by the time we'd hit the coast, I'd made up my mind. Uh, Pierre, I think you ought to know this is my last trip. That's strange. Why? I had a feeling it might be. Oh, yes. yes. I think I'll stick in
3: London a while. I'm tired of Paris. You've been a very close friend, Harry. We shall miss you,
2: Louise and I. Well, we're bound to meet sometime in the future. I wonder. Does Louise know about this? Well, uh, no. no, I just made up my mind, old oh man. I just made up my mind. I see. Have you any message for her? No, I don't think so. Nothing special.
3: Eh bien, I will just say you send your love. My uh, love? Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll... <clears throat> we must be over Alfred Moore by now, aren't we? There yeah, it is, just ahead. You have all the stuff? Yeah, You've checked your parachute. Yeah. All right. Stand by. Here we are now. Give my regards to Mr. Brand. Oh, sure,
1: sure.
3: I hope you have a pleasant trip to London with him. <laughs> and for your own sake, I hope I have not made a mistake for once and short changed him. What's that? Hey, hey,
2: wait a minute. It was too late. I'd been on the brink, and as I spoke, Pierre lunged forward and shoved me in the chest. And I topped backward into space, I could see that he was smiling. Well, it wasn't a friendly smile. Well, it seemed hours while I floated down. Well, why should I have any special reason for wanting to land? I knew by now exactly what would be waiting for me. My feet touched Earth at last. It was a bad landing. I skidded and rolled over, and by the time I'd freed myself, there were two guys standing over me. This is it," I said to myself. I looked up. They weren't Brad and his assistant at all, but two fellows I'd never seen. Mr. Harry Lime. Uh, yes, we're from Scotland Yard. Oh. Oh, well, how how do you do? You're kind of off your beat, aren't you? We would advise that you might choose this rather unconventional way of visiting <laughs> England. <laughs> Advised. You, you mean we somebody... had a letter from a young lady in Paris. At least the writing suggests that she's young, and the perfume suggests that she's a lady. Swann so and Noel, well, so my wife tells me, get it a sellout. She seemed to be under the impression that you may be carrying a rather large sum of money with you in American dollars. I wonder what could have given her that idea. Well, you don't mind if we search you, I hope. Well, what happens if I do mind? Well, I'm afraid we shall have to insist.
0: Okay, go ahead.
2: Right, I'll take the briefcase. You attend to Mister Lyme's pockets. Certainly, old Ah, I must say you have a few packages here, and also neatly tied and sealed.
6: Seems almost a pity.
2: Oh, what's the matter? This seems rather a lot of trouble to have taken for a wad of brown paper. Of
1: what? Brown paper, Mr. Lyme. Look at it. Yes, and look at this. Yes, and this. In fact, it's all brown paper. Hmm. so it is.
2: At once, Louise had spilled the beans to Scotland Yard in an anonymous letter, and Pierre dummied the packets, knowing what Brand would do to me the double, double cross. Only what they didn't know was that between them they'd canceled the whole thing out and saved my bacon. <laughs> funny, isn't it? It's <laughs> very, very funny. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid you have the advantage of us, Mr. Lyman. Oh, how's that? We don't quite see the joke. No, and I guess you never will. What happens now? Oh, just a few formalities. Uh, could I see your passport? Certainly, old man, certainly. I'm not too glad to buy Yes. Well, well, it seems to be in order. That's fine. You gentlemen happen to be driving back to London? Yes. Then maybe you'll give me a lift. Oh, with pleasure.
1: Well, come along. Let's go, shall we? Harry Lyme returns in just a moment.
2: find myself thinking sometimes of Louise, the dark black eyes, the kissable mouth. I wonder if I'll ever see her again. If I do, I'll run a mile. I'll be with you again soon to tell you another of my adventures. Meanwhile, don't forget the old saying, all's fair in love and war, but uh, war is a lot less dangerous.
0: Lives of Harry Lime, The Double, Double Cross, is originally heard back in January of 1952. It was a syndicated show. I love that show. I always always have. And I, I hope you do, too. I love the complexities of the stories, and I love the way they almost always end. Uh, sometimes Harry's on the losing end. Sometimes he's on the winning end. But it, it's always interesting. <music> That is going to kick things in the head for Tuesday, March the 9th, 2021. Hope you enjoyed our selection. We'll be back tomorrow with an old-time radio mystery and on Thursday with our Western. And we hope that we see you then. I thought we'd go out with this song about a double cross and I couldn't quite find anything that would uh, fit the hairy lime mold. But this song came up on my radar and this is ultimately about... A very, very serious double cross that uh, involved two, two good friends. It really, it's almost the ultimate double cross, if you would. And uh, the friend who was the double crosser ended up paying for it with his life. This is Lefty Frizzell, and this is Bob Bro. and I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me.
4: someone killed neath the town hall light there were few at the scene but they all agree that the slayer who ran looked a lot like me the judge said some What is your alibi? If you were somewhere else, then you won't have to die. I spoke not a word, though it meant my life. For I had been in the arms of my best friend's wife. She walks these hills In a long black veil She visits my grave When the night winds wail. Nobody knows Nobody sees Nobody knows But me the sky falls high And eternity near She stood in the crowd And shed not a tear But sometimes at night When the cold wind moans In a long black veil She cries, over oh, my bones. She walks these hills In a long black veil She visits my grave When the night winds well Nobody knows Nobody sees Nobody knows But me Amen. Wow.